Welcome. This is the Self-Evident Podcast. I'm Mike. This is Richard. Good evening, Richard. <laughs> That's a little homage to a podcast that some of you, maybe two of you know, um, the Jocko Willett Podcast. Check it out. But that is not that podcast here tonight. This is the Self-Evident Podcast. It is Sunday, 7 p.m. We're back. I'm Mike. And... This is Richard. That's all we've got tonight. It's me. That's okay. Massey killed it at his sermon today. He is actually officiating a wedding this evening. So cheers for him. Prayers for him. And uh, I am going to carry you through this podcast and you're going to enjoy it whether you like it or not. So before we get started, do not forget, check out all of our platforms, our social media, get on all of that stuff. Instagram, Facey Space, YouTube's, the rumbles, the the bit shoots, all of them. Get on them. Check out our merch store, 1776truth.store. There. I've done the plugs. Are you happy? I'm happy. Richard, are you happy? I'm happy. It's game on. Let's do this. So I have so much for you, so I'm going to get right into this. Let me scoot up my chair. Let's get started. So first off, you know, here's what we're going to be talking about tonight. I'll intro it, and then we'll get into everything. I'm going to be talking about force. Because what we're dealing with in this country, around the world, you'll notice and recognize all of these instances of force, people pushing against other people. And it just so happens that it tends to be the authority and the powers pressing in on the other people. Now, don't worry. I'm not making the oppressor oppressed arguments. What I am making is people in power like to stay in power. People in power like more power. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And so you have to be aware of it. And, and one of the things that a lot of people have asked is, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? How do I handle this? Tonight, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use scripture and real life examples of how do you handle force, especially how do you handle force as a Christian? Because sometimes we as Christians, we're told one of two things, either pick up your guns and start shooting or Romans 13 means no matter what you always obey. And I've got a couple of examples for you that will show you it's not always that cut and dry. Sometimes it's down the middle, depending on what the scenario is and how you still stay true to the Lord. But we'll get into this, Richard. Game on? Okay. So let's fly through some stories that are going on around the world that show you just a sense of what does it mean by force. So let's go to slide number one. Nation's largest trial court system tells staffers to get vaccinated. So this is L.A. court. They have 4,600 employees. All of them are mandated to get vaccinated. But the judges who are elected are exempt. And it's the judges that are helping enforce this force. Let's go to slide number two. The Biden administration drops the lawsuit that's protecting pro-life nurses. So this one's going to take a little bit more, but stay with me. A lawsuit against the University of Vermont Medical Center alleged that they were forcing pro-life nurses to participate in abortions. Nurses were not allowed to switch with other nurses or abstain from the procedures. Nothing has shown that the medical center could not accommodate the religious views of the nurse in the court case. So when the Trump administration was handling this, they had asked that the HHS and DOJ investigate the matter as a civil rights violation. Biden's administration asked for the investigation and lawsuit to be terminated. So the Trump, 
Trump administration had said this. UVMMC forced the nurse complainant to assist in an abortion against the nurse's religious or moral objection. The nurse had expressed an objection for many years and was included in a list of objectors, but the medical center knowingly assigned the nurse to an abortion procedure. The nurse was not told the procedure was an abortion until the nurse walked into the room when the doctor, knowing the nurse objected to assisting in abortions, told the nurse, don't hate me. The nurse again objected and other staff were present who could have taken the nurse's place, but the nurse was required to assist with the abortion anyway. If the nurse had not done so, the nurse's nurse reasonably feared the medical center would fire or report the nurse to licensing authorities. Biden administration, HHS, basically said, meh, couldn't find anything, dropped the suit, everyone back to your homes, nothing to see here. Huh, sounds like force. Number three, major teachers union sues a Rhode Island mother. Now you might think, well, what does this have to do with force? Let's follow through and see, is this coercion, force, pressure to get somebody to do what they want them to do or not do what they don't want them to do? So mom emailed her school district wanting to see the kindergarten curriculum to determine whether it would include CRT, gender theory, etc. School refused to answer. She was threatened with illegal action. School sent her a bill for $74,000 saying that's how much it would cost to fulfill a public records request that the Goldwater Institute filed on her behalf. The NEA is now coming after her, suing her. Think about the legal fees, the court costs, time, etc. Think about a full union, the NEA, coming down on a private citizen. They're saying she filed nearly 200 requests that were not subject to R Rhode Island public records law. They also filed a restraining order and preliminary injunctions against her. Salah said, the NEA is so determined to push its political agenda that they are willing to expose themselves in a court of law for who they really are. An association of bullies eager to challenge a stay-at-home mom who simply wanted to know what her daughter would be taught. She said the lawsuit won't deter me from asking questions, and I encourage all parents to do the same so that they are empowered to make informed decisions regarding their children's education. Look at that response. That's one of the reasons I wanted to pick this story. This lawsuit won't deter me from asking questions. I encourage all parents to do the same so that they're empowered to make informed decisions regarding their children's education. Number four, about a female inmate who became impregnated by a biological male claiming to be a female because they were forced to be in the same prison. I'll leave that one. Number five, or how about the UK transport minister who said vaccines will be required forevermore in order to travel out of the country? He said, I think double vaccination, full vaccination, is going to be a feature forevermore in most countries. Probably all countries will require full vaccination in order for you to enter, said the minister. He said, it's important to understand that there are simply going to be things that you will not be able to do unless you're double vaccinated or have a medical reason not to be, including going abroad. Now, before we get into the main thrust of the podcast, we look at these stories and we have to think, how would I respond? How would I react if I were in that position? And it's sad state of affairs, but it's the reality that we're in a world where it could be you're getting forced to do something you don't want to do if you want to participate in the society. 
And that that's why I left that UK minister thing for last, because he's basically saying, if you want to participate in going across the world, if you want to be able to travel, let's say you're part of a business that has international travel. What he's saying is you better get the vaccine. Otherwise you won't be able to travel. So you won't be able to do business internationally unless you have the vaccine. And I'm, I'm not getting into the whole COVID thing, but it's a perfect example of force. And that's why it's talked about so often is it is a perfect example of force as well as creating two types of people. You have the privileged class who have submitted to everything the government has said and the non-privileged class who are secondary citizens who have decided I'm not going to submit to everything the government suggests, coerce, recommends, forces, depending on where you're at. And we're seeing riots all over the world going on. But my immediate thought about that is those riots, doesn't that seem like something that the enemy would stir up? I mean, it, it's chaos, it's division, it's it's anger and panic and fear all boiling over. And I'm not saying that protests aren't don't have their place, but when you're starting to watch riots come in, it gives a lot of excuse to crack down harder. And it's just something we have to be aware of is if you're going to take the risk, take the risk, but understand the risk that you're taking because that's you have to know you're getting committed or involved 100% when you're doing something like that. And we've, we've got to know, you know, what, what are we doing with this? Where are we going with it? Why are we doing it? Because if we don't know why and we don't know where we're going, we're going to make a mess of things and we're not going to be sure how to get back to it. Make sense? So, that being said, you guys ready to get into this? I think this is going to be good because this will give you some answers that you haven't really thought about before in these contexts. So let me take a drink. Get ready. Oh, it's good coffee. This presentation tonight on the Self-Evident Podcast, this presentation is the Book of Daniel in Force. So if you've read the book of Daniel, it actually really is a good read if you're wondering, okay, how have the faithful responded to attempted force, force, oppression, especially as a government official? Remember, Daniel was one of the highest in two separate kingdoms. So this guy knew what he was doing. He was a, a well-to-do guy. He was a powerful guy, and he had a lot to lose. If you're living in a box, whatever, you don't have a whole lot to lose. He, he had a lot to lose, yet he made decisions over and over again that stood for the Lord. And his response was subtle in certain times and very stark in other times. And that's one of the things that when you follow the Lord, you understand how to respond in certain situations. A lot of people are going to quote you Romans 13 saying this is proof that you do whatever the government commands. And sometimes they'll leave, people will even throw in the caveat that as long as it isn't directly against God. But what does the Bible really show us about standing up to oppressive, forceful government? And I'm, besides a tiny little bit, I'm not even going to talk about the revolution. 
Now, we, you know us, it's self-evident. You know how passionate we are about the Constitution, the founding of America, the Revolutionary War. I'm, I'm not even going that route. There's, there's so much more than just that. And so much more nuance that we can gather from the world, more history, more wisdom that we can take from that and move forward. We're going to look at a few examples. So Israel had been invaded and overtaken by the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. During the time of Daniel, this meant that a lot of Jews were removed from their homes. They were forced into exile. They were forced into foreign land. And when Daniel was first brought to King Nebuchadnezzar, he was assigned a new name. Okay, He was forced to become a court, court official. He, as well as a couple other guys, they're chosen for their looks, their intelligence, their wisdom, their understanding. He was given food and wine of the court. Now, this daily ration was not what Daniel wanted. Now, the Bible doesn't specify why Daniel rejected the food of the court, but there does seem to be this thing that he felt it was, it was a, a thing against God or a thing that would harm or compromise his relationship with the Lord. The Bible says Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Notice that I'm not even going to go that route in his mind. I'm not going that route. He would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Okay, so he asked, hey, please, can I not defile myself? Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. This guy's saying, look, if you do this and you don't look good after a week or two, I'm done. I'm putting my head out for you. We have to remember that if we're going to make a decision, there are consequences for other people. I'm not saying don't make that decision, but understand when you make a decision, there are consequences for other people. But notice his eyes are on God. His eyes say, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. That carries through. Look what happens next. So Daniel could have shrugged his shoulders, said, all right, I got to obey the authority over me no matter what. This isn't directly against God because, there, you know, as long as I choose the right food, I'm okay. I just won't eat the other stuff. And it's okay if I drink the wine. Wine's not against God. Certain foods aren't against God. So he could have easily picked and chosen, but he chose not to defile himself. He put his foot down in a peaceful way and determined he could not agree with this. He could not agree with the mandate. Oops. This put the man over him in peril. Daniel could have said, oh, my bad, or too bad, I ain't doing it. You can lose your head. And he would have lost his head too. Notice the position he's in. So he offers another option. He says, Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Let's do a little test here. And of course, because of the Lord, the diet of purely vegetables made them look healthy, even fatter than all the others. I'm sorry, but when was the last time you ate only vegetables for a week and looked fatter than everybody else? Right? Movement of the Lord. So this first lesson from this, when you stand on conviction for the Lord, 
he won't leave you or forsake you. He may ask sacrifice of you, but there may be blessing even in that. You have to learn, look, if I'm going to stand on conviction with the Lord, I have to stand on conviction, but I have to hear him on how to do this. So in the Gulag Archipelago, which was written by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and I've talked about this book before, but I've got some quotes from it that you need to hear. He, he relates the lesson he learned while being 20 years in the gulags, some of the harshest places on earth, worked to the death, tens of millions of people. He was in the middle of it, and he got out. He survived. He wrote a whole anthology of everything that happened in his journey. A book the Soviet Union banned, a book that his head was really kind of on the chopping block for. A book that gives us extreme wisdom into what it looks like to start from a halfway normal government, go through a revolution, and then see the waves of oppression coming over a people into full tilt, into a meat grinder. But this is what he said about the camps. And one of the lessons he learned. And as soon as you have renounced that aim of surviving at any price and gone where the calm and simple people go, then imprisonment begins to transform your former character in an astonishing way. To transform it in a direction most unexpected of you. And it would seem that in this situation, feelings of malice, the disturbance of being oppressed, aimless hate, irritability, and nervousness ought to multiply. But you yourself do not notice how, with the impalpable flow of time, slavery nurtures in you the shoots of contradictory feelings. Once upon a time, you were sharply intolerant. You were constantly in a rush. You were constantly short of time. Now you have time with interest. You are sure fitted with it, with its months and its years behind you and ahead of you, and a beneficial calming fluid pours through your blood vessels. Patience. You are ascending. Formerly, you never forgave anyone. You judged people without mercy. You praised people with equal lack of moderation. And now, an understanding mildness has become the basis of your uncategorical judgment. You have come to realize your own weakness. You can therefore understand the weakness of others and be astonished at another's strength and wish to possess it yourself. The stones rustle beneath our feet. We are ascending. With the year, armor-plated restraint covers your heart and all of your skin. You not hasten to question and you do not hasten to answer. Your tongue has lost its flexible capability for easily oscillation. Your eyes do not flash over with gladness over good tidings, nor do they darken with grief. For you still have to verify whether that's how it is going to be. You also have to work out what is gladness and what is grief. Now the rule of your life is this. Do not rejoice when you have found. Do not weep when you have lost. Your soul, which formerly was dry, now ripens with suffering. And even if you haven't come to love your neighbors in the Christian sense, you're at least learning to love those close to you. And you may say, man, I never want to get there. Fully understandable, but... When you're dealing with force and oppression, you must have hope that the Lord can do in us 
and that the enemy will not do outside. And the hope is in the Lord. Is our spirit and our soul the Father is concerned about. It's not the physical. It's our spirit and our soul the Father is trying to perfect. The body turns to dust and we are fleeing vapors. But what is inside you is eternal. Paul says in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be re revealed to us. Sometimes, notice nuance, sometimes you have to just accept where you're at. You may hit that point where you have to accept it and see it for what it is. Because the Lord is more concerned about what's going on inside than what's happening outside. And you notice Daniel did not throw a fit. He didn't try to storm out of the palace. He didn't, he didn't throw his weight around. He didn't go on a starving uh, a protest. He said, okay, how about this? I'll eat vegetables and let's see what happens in a week. Which if you think about it, is really him saying, look, I'm here. I'll make the best of it. I'm going to try. There are some times where you must just make the best of your situation. And if Solzhenitsyn can make the best of standing in the gulag, maybe if you end up in a place like that, it's time to just have hope for what the Lord is doing on the inside. And I pray it never gets to that. And we will do everything we can to make sure it doesn't. And notice when the Lord says, Here's a hope. When he prophesies that hope, it's in the time of hopelessness. Massey was talking about it this morning. He and I have had a lot of conversations about this. It's that moment when everything looks bleak that the Lord's like, okay, I have hope for you. Keep moving forward. Let's go to number two. So later on, King Nebuchadnezzar decided to build this big idol of himself. He wanted everyone to worship it. Now we're getting more drastic in the situation. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the chief treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the administrators of the provinces, notice it's all government officials that get invited to this thing, were assembled for the dedication of the statute that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. They stood before that statue. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, you peoples, nations, and populations of all languages, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of musical instruments, you are to fall down and worship immediately, or you shall be thrown into the middle of a furnace of blazing fire. You may just hit that point. And if you have not learned how to stand on principle when it's easy, how much harder will it be to stand on principle when it's hard? Learn now. At that point, all these officials and leaders bowed down except for three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their accusers came to the king and said, These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. So the king got mad. He got enraged. He gave them one more chance. He pulled them together. He said, look, if you're ready, I'll have them play the music one more time. You can bow down. Otherwise, I'm throwing you in the fire. He adds, what God is there who can deliver out of my hands? You know what's the pride in that? 
you will hear it from our officials. A pride and arrogance that discounts the Lord. They will believe they are gods and that they have ultimate authority. And because they have not seen the Lord move lately, they will believe he's not going to move. And woe to the fool who believes the Lord will not move. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have their response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Notice, they have just given up everything. So old Nebi gets the fire seven times hotter than normal. It's several valiant men tie up the three, throw them in, in the heat of the fire killing those valiant soldiers. In the midst of the fire, the king says, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Suddenly he calls them out of the fire and he adds, You servants of the Most High God, do you realize how quickly he turned? If you want to see your leaders turn to the faith and to the Lord, you better be willing to stand up and give a testimony of God's glory. And you may just have to sacrifice something or you may have to put something on the altar. They come out with no effects of the fire, including smelling like smoke. Nebi says, blessed be the God. Hear what he says here. This man who just built an idol of himself and was trying to force everybody to bow to him. This is what he says by seeing those four men in the fire, which the fourth was a Christophany, was Christ, standing there with them in the midst of the fire. Does that not speak? It says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command. He even speaks it out. They violated my command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any God except their own. Are you willing to give up your body to make sure you serve only God? Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Okay, a little intense, Nebuchadnezzar, but I like your energy. Scripture adds, then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Talk about a blessing of the Lord. Those men stood up knowing my life is forfeit. I'm done, but I'm not going to bow to your idol. Throw me in the fire, cut my head off, do what you got to do to me. I ain't bowing. We can tell ourselves, I'll do that, of course. But how many of us compromise on some of this stuff that's being forced down our throats right now? As soon as we're told, well, you know, you may lose your job if you don't get a jab. Oh, well, uh, I mean, I've got to work. So, you know, my conscience was against it, but now I'll do it. Now that's between you and the Lord. But if you've gone against your conscience, time to repent. Time to really think about, okay, Lord, what am I standing for? 
Am I standing for you or standing for comfort? The calm and the peace that these men carried was due to their death to themselves and their faith in God. When you let go, you're free. Attachment means you're attached to something. It controls you just as much as you hopefully control it. If you're attached to your life, your family, your possessions, you risk being controlled by them. You have to pick up your cross and follow Christ. This means a death sentence. Do you realize what Christ is saying? Look, when you pick up your cross, where are you headed with a cross? Where was Christ headed with the cross? He didn't say, join me after I come out of the tomb and follow me then. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. You know what that means? Pick up your death sentence with me and follow me. Don't look back. And if you think, well, you're taking it kind of, kind of drastic, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And we tend to teach it, which is right, that he's talking about in comparison. He's not saying, so go hate your mother and father children. He says, look, in your comparison to your love to me compared to your love to them, it'll look like you hate them compared to me. Which, if you have ever done something for the Lord that your family did not understand, they felt like you hated them. They felt like you were jabbing them when really what you're doing was saying, I love Christ and I need to follow Christ. Notice, if you don't even hate your own, if you, you have to hate your own life, that's what it means to pick up your cross. And guess what? If you're on a death sentence, you don't own anything anymore. You're done. Nothing's yours. It's gone. You don't have possessions. And suddenly you're free because when you're resurrected with Christ, all you have is Christ. Now, does it mean that he won't give you and bless you with family and children and jobs and whatever you need? He will bless you tenfold abundantly in this life and the next. But until you give that up and you truly walk as a dead man in Christ, reborn in Christ, you're attached to things which may just hold you back from truly following the Lord when he calls on you to give up a lot. When you stand on an undying principle, you have strength, courage, and freedom to do what is necessary. I think about John Hancock. And there's a quote that I, I love from him where he says, I glory in publicly avowing my enmity to tyranny. So this was a wealthy, connected, well-to-do man, yet he stood firm against tyranny. He knew that compromising would only give fuel to the tyrant. And there may be times where you cannot compromise. What about something in the middle? Something where you could probably skirt yourself around, but if you don't, the risks are still huge. So Daniel in the lion's den. This is a really interesting one. Nebuchadnezzar actually gets saved. And at the end of, of his section, he actually gives glory to God in exactly, or, or, gives it to God and exalts God, most likely due to these amazing examples of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Think about it. Like 
you have Daniel in your court. You see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire. Probably you're going to say, yeah, I'm following that God. So he dies. His son takes over. His son's a screwball, insults God. God removes his reign, bringing in the Medes and the Persians. So now Daniel's working in the court of Darius, two different kingdoms. So now he's in Darius's court. He's doing well. Darius appoints him as one of three over the king's 120 satraps. These guys are kind of like governors, regional authorities. You know, they have three commissioners over all of them. Daniel's one of the commissioners. The king, Darius, is planning to put Daniel in charge of the whole kingdom. Now, if you've ever worked in the corporate world, you may see some jealousy, envy. You get a raise. Other people are like, how do you get that? How, how do you get that extra money? that job. I wanted that job. He's not good enough for that job. So these other commissioners and the satraps found out. What's interesting is scripture describes Daniel as possessing an extraordinary spirit. So read this as faith and spirit filled. He's without compromise. He's, there's no negligence in him. There's no disobedience. The others conspired together, but because they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him, the men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel, unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. If you have a clean life and a clean conscience, there will still be people who will come after you. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll try to find some way that you have somehow sullied the standard of God, which, of course, we as Christians know you're not perfect. You'll never be perfect. But this all the more speaks to the responsibility of living that true standard of living for Christ. Be punished for your good works, not your bad works. And Daniel led a clean, spotless, blameless life. So much so that these men said, look, we're never going to get him on corruption. We're never going to get him on, on negligence, negligence, like making a mistake. We're not going to get him on any of that stuff. So let's get him on the law of his God. That's how you know it's we evil and wicked men. Because now all of a sudden they're planning and conniving and scheming that somehow they can nail this Daniel guy. So they agreed that they would have the king set a law in place that no man could pray to anyone or anything but King Darius for 30 days. The Medes and the Persians also had a law that stated once a law was signed, it could not be withdrawn. So they're setting this up. They have a win-win. They either stop Daniel from praying to his God, which I'm sure deep down they're like, man, something's going on between him and these prayers and stuff. Let's just stop him from doing that. But they also knew, man, if, if he slips up once, we can get him. He'll be out, and then one of us can be in charge. So this traps Daniel. Prays, he's caught. But if he prays to Darius, he's disobeying God. So what do you do? You just stay silent? Don't pray for 30 days? You know, that way you don't get harmed. You're not really disobeying God. You're just like, hey, God, we're going to take a break for 30 days. I'll be back in a month. Don't worry. I got to save my life here. There's no command you had to pray every day. They might, or, you know, Daniel could say, I'm just going to pray in my head. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm going to be silent 
because it's really just between God and me either way. How many of us have decided to say that? Well, let's just be silent. Let's just stay in our homes. Let's just be quiet. Let's not pray in our school. Let's not pray in our government building. Let's not pray at our job. As long as I'm silent, I'm really not disobeying God, but I'm, I'm keeping my head down. Tell me that rule is not in our schools right now. Don't pray. Don't pray. Otherwise, we're going to get the Freedom From Religion Foundation after us, and we don't want another lawsuit. Yet, they lose. People just back out. That's why they win. You'll fight them through to the course. You have the right to pray. First Amendment. If you want to have the separation from church and state argument, let's do it. Because it does not mean that you can't retain your faith within the walls of a government building. Or that you can't speak your faith. So what does Daniel do? Most of us might suggest, well, Daniel, just keep your head down. Just pray silently in your head. 30 days, you're done. You're in the clear, right? Compromise. When he knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. See where this is going? He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying, and notice this, giving thanks before his God. Not praying for his safety, not praying, oh Lord, what, what will I do? Giving thanks. As he had been doing previously. He kept it up. He did exactly what he was doing before. Pass the law, I don't care, I'm continuing on. You see that obstinance in him to follow the Lord no matter what? You can tell me to not pray. You can tell me that I'm gonna, I have to pray to Darius, but guess what? I'm getting on my knees three times a day, opening up the windows so everybody can hear me, everybody can see me. I'm praying towards Jerusalem so you know I'm not praying towards the palace. My eyes are towards the temple, the temple of the Lord God. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. So the punishment for this act is being thrown into a lion's den. This is what I find interesting. A lot of it I do, but this part is, is really interesting to me. Darius hates that he has to throw Daniel into the lion's den. The law says he has to do it. He follows that law, but he really does try everything he can to save Daniel. The Bible specifically says this. He, he tried until sunset. He said, is there any way I can get around Any, And he couldn't get around it. The men tell him the law cannot be changed. So now his own people are turning against him saying, this law can't be changed. And if you try to, then we're coming after you because now you're going against our law. So they think they've got him done for. But the king says to Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. I love that. He is speaking prophecy to Daniel. Your God will deliver you. Notice the king then spends the night fasting with no entertainment, and he couldn't sleep. This is not a man of God, because it does not say that he's praying. He says, your God will save you. 
So there, there's nothing to indicate that Darius is a saved man following the Lord God, a servant of God. Yet he spends the night fasting. He doesn't put any entertainment to try and distract himself. He can't sleep because his man Daniel is in the lion's den. The next morning, they roll away the stone. There Daniel sits with the lions. Daniel praises the Lord, and Darius takes the evil men who conspired and throws them and their families into the lion's den. They were devoured before they reached the ground. Now this, Darius wrote to all the people of his kingdom, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Tell me that's not a changed man. So the courageous acts of Daniel have just changed at least two lives, two kings. Your courageous acts might just save the life, the eternal life of a high-powered person. That's hope and faith. That one man can change the course of an entire kingdom. Don't ever deny what God calls you to. God showed his glory and his entrance to that was Daniel's faithfulness in disobeying a law. His entrance to his glory was on Daniel's disobeying a law. Where might you be withholding God's glory because you've decided to compromise when you've been called to something else? Daniel didn't have to keep getting on his knees three times a day. He most likely didn't have to pray out loud. He could have hidden it. But the Lord used that as an entry point to turn the kingdom towards him. Your fear is hindering the Lord's ability to use you as a vessel for his glory. Let's get real. Your fear is hindering the Lord's ability to use you as a vessel for his kingdom. How can you possibly become great in faith? without going through trials. And if you don't want to be great in faith, you need to reevaluate your relationship with Christ. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I'm not going to pull it back. I'm not going to apologize for it because it's true. If you don't care about being great in faith, you probably need to reevaluate your relationship with Christ. Your fear will protect you for a time. But don't you think those wicked officials would have found another way to get to Daniel? They get through the 30 days, whatever. They would have found another way. It wouldn't be, oh, well, he stopped praying, so now we're okay. No, he still would have been put in charge of the kingdom. They still would have found a way to try and get him out. But their own evil schemes ate them alive, literally. Scripture says, evil men who scheme will be caught in their own snares. Proverbs 29.6, evildoers are snared by their own sin, but the righteous shout for joy and are glad. And I want to give an example of that, because I think sometimes we decide that the evil of just one, we, we, what is it, Habakkuk, kind of like, how do evil men always prosper? How do they get away with it? It's quick when they fall. 
and evil men fall and they get snared in their own traps because they can't keep it straight. They have to keep going, going, going. And at some point it all falls on their head. So I want to bring up the example of Robespierre. You may not know this name, but he was one of the, the real pushers of the French Revolution. And if you don't know about the French Revolution, it happened right around the same time of the American Revolution. 1789 was when it really kicked off. Maybe a couple of years before that, but it was it was a fulfillment of the Enlightenment, which the American Revolution was too. And he was a he was the biggest proponent of separating as many bodies from heads as possible during the French Revolution. He was the guillotine guy. As head of the Committee of Public Safety, over two thousand people were executed in just a few months. That thing was dropping frequently. In a couple of months, 60 days, 70 days, 2,000 people. He's credited with encouraging the execution of over 17,000 people during the French Revolution. Hey, by the way, he was a Jacobin. Okay, This was a forerunner to the socialists and communists. Atheistic, materialistic, com community-driven, no private property type of people. Actually, there's, there's a magazine called Jacobin.com or Jacobin Magazine. They're hardcore socialists. It's what they are. So in less than a year after he was appointed to oversee this committee of public safety, quotes, if you're, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm doing huge air quotes, committee of public safety. Man, keeping those heads safe by putting them in baskets. 300,000 people were arrested 10,000 died in prison, and 17,000 were executed. This include many of his political opponents. Now you're saying, man, this guy was a reign of terror, but you know we were talking about evil, wicked men getting their comeuppance. He was elected to president of the National Convention. Six days later, they passed a law that suspended a right to public trial and legal assistance. This was on the shoulders of the French Revolution. This was a movement supposedly about freedom of right, freedom and rights and individuality, yet they were the ones who ended public trial and legal assistance. So a little less than two months later, Robespierre and his allies were arrested. So the National Convention finally got sick of what was going on. They realized something's wrong here, finally. When he was declared an outlaw, he tried to kill himself, but he didn't get the job done. Shot through his jaw, he didn't kill himself. Soon after, the National Convention troops caught him. He was guillotined without a trial. You understand the irony in that? This man, who led the National Convention and was suspended a right to public trial, had been whacking heads with a guillotine at a fast pace, guillotined without a trial. His allies and followers were also executed. Following this, the Committee of Public Safety lost their authority. Prisons were opened and the revolution finally calmed. Not too long after, Napoleon came on the scene and became emperor. Which, be careful about your revolutions. But what I want you to see with this is Robespierre was a wicked man. And he wasn't really much of anything before the French Revolution. He was just kind of this quiet, weak, soft lawyer. And somewhere, man, my immediate thought was possessed. Like, but something came over him, and all of a sudden, he was this firebrand. 
And he was, he was, he was on fire and he was moving up the ranks and he was whacking everybody he could. And then he got his comeuppance. Evil men will be ensnared by their own sin. If we don't have faith and hope in the Lord, that the Lord will carry the righteous through one way or another, then what do we have hope in? And you may say, yeah, but Christian martyrs eaten in Rome. Yeah. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to blow smoke up your butt and say, well, as long as you have faith in the Lord, he'll carry you to the ripe old age of 120. But what I will say is your days will be blessed one way or another, even if you're in the midst of a gulag. And you carry with you eternal life. And the beautiful part is when you truly have that faith and hope in the Lord, it doesn't matter what you're staring at because your eyes are on the Lord no matter what. That's what we have to get across to you. And that's what we are trying so hard to get across to you is get your eyes on the Lord, not on anything else. Get your eyes on Christ. Because it doesn't matter what's going on around you. All that matters is that you have Christ. Once you are zeroed in, locked in on him, then you can start to deal with what's going on around you. Then you start to make real changes. Like Harriet Tubman, who saved hundreds, if not thousands of slaves. And she, saved, she could, said she could have saved thousands more if they had just known they were slaves. Or Diedrich Bonhoeffer who saved hundreds and hundreds of people. Corey Ten Boom, who lost all of her family, right? Pretty sure it was all of her family in the camps when she finally got caught because they were helping Jews. You may have to give up everything to help somebody. If the Lord calls you to do it, but you haven't been trained on how to obey the Lord, you're going to shrink in that day. And when we have such petty, minuscule, stupid stuff, like to wear a mask or not wear a mask, and we can't even be a little bit uncomfortable about like, I don't think it's right, but you know, I'll just put it on because I don't want anybody to get mad at me. This is why I'm saying you need to learn how to not compromise now. Now, if the Lord keeps you open to it and says, look, if the Lord says to you, put the mask on, I need you in this job, you follow the Lord. But if the Lord says, no, there's something wrong here. Don't do this. Don't compromise on this. You need to listen. And come what may. Each day. We have a chance to follow in the Lord. Each day we have a chance to learn something from him and have faith and hope in who he is. You know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether or not you live one day or you live a hundred years. What matters is did you do what you were called to do so that you can be called a faithful servant. And I speak this in hope because I give you hope that when you walk in faith and hope, you walk in peace 
no matter what's going on around you, you look at it with, with kind of a distant eye of saying, yeah, I see that, but Lord, I trust you. That's a hope. That's a beautiful place to be. And I want you in that place. I want all of you in that place. I want you walking with him day in, day out, full of faith, hope, and energy. Because you know what? The Lord can do it. The Lord can change it. And he can change it through us. What more beautiful place to be than to be that person who the Lord says, I got to show my glory through you. That's a rare place to be. But it's a beautiful place to be. Be that person. Stand up and say, I'm going to be a vessel for the Lord's glory. Pick up your cross and follow Christ. Go to where you're called. Hate your father, hate your mother, hate your children, hate your friends in comparison to the Lord. And follow him. Hate even your own life. So that being said, guys, do we have any good comments, Richard? My comments aren't aren't refreshing for whatever reason. So good place to talk about Esther. Absolutely. I'm sorry, guys. My comments for some reason are not showing up on my board. Um, so I don't know what's going on with this. But any questions in there, or just good comments? All right. Thank you so much for the comments, guys. And Yep. Shout out to Mark. Good job, Mark. Um, <laughs> so do not forget to check us out on all the platforms, guys. We we have a lot of stuff in the works, a lot of stuff we're working on. And it's it's fun. It's really fun. And I'm telling you, the wave is moving forward. And I'm not even talking about self-evident. I'm talking about the Lord. The wave is moving forward. Get to be a part of the wave because this is going to be a tidal wave of the Holy Spirit falling on this nation. Man, you've been praying for the Lord to pour his love, his spirit out. These are the days. So get ready. Please, please, these are the days. No matter where you live in this world, these are the days to be with the Lord. We will be back here next Sunday, 7 p.m., Check us out on all the platforms. Give us some love. Give us some hate. Whatever. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. You know it. Check out the podcast platform. Leave a review. Leave a like. Leave a share. Leave a comment. Let us know what you want us to talk about, guys. We really do love you. We're so thankful for all the feedback that we get, good or bad. We just absolutely love and adore you guys. Can't wait to see you guys again. Until then, you have a great week. And do not forget, follow the Lord. We love you guys. Have a great night.